All right. Well, good morning. Uh, what's that? Yes, I yes, I actually found some more billboards. If you weren't here last week, um, we're doing a kind of a quick, short series on the idea of being living billboards that we all promote um, things in, in our life and the way you do. And so I went and searched and found some more billboards for us um, this morning. Um, oh, you know what? This would be helpful. Yes, there we go. Hallmark. Face it, you'll never come up with anything clever on your own. (laughs) True. How about this one? Helping kids read gooder. Hooked on phonics. Yeah. Gooder. Gooder. McDonald's. Beef, mostly. (laughs) Just make you think about your lunch plans. Um, I think I got one more. Oh, yeah, Powerball, the lottery, retirement planning for dumb people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's my, my favorite. But th- those, those are our billboards. And, and it's really, really true that you know, our lives do promote things. Our, our lives, what, the way we act, what we say, what we do, everything does promote certain things. And, and we can't help it. And so last week we talked about the idea of loving God. Um, and that everything that we have, focusing all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, all our mind, everything on, on loving God and just giving and letting that be promoted. But there was always there was a second part of that, of that commandment that Jesus gave. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 22. Again, starting at verse 34. And as always, these are the only words that matter this morning. Um, if you don't hear anything else, you need to hear these words, because these are the words that change everything. If you don't have a Bible, we have them kind of spread out through service. If you want to sign into our Wi-Fi, GBC guest, just type in, find more. Um, but out of acknowledgement of these words and the power that they hold, I'm going to ask if you'll stand for me as we read God's word this morning. Starting in verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. God, I just thank you this morning, um, again, for just allowing us to gather. God, allowing us to come into your presence, God, and to be changed by you, God, to hear from you. And so, Father, that's our prayer this morning. Father, may these words be your words, not mine. God, may they penetrate the heart. God, may they change us. May they encourage us. God, may they challenge us. God, that we would live out a life that reflects you and your grace and your glory and that the world would see. So, God, we just ask that you would have your way this morning with us. God, that once again you would speak. Father, hide me. God, give us ears to hear and hearts to respond and the courage to live it out this morning, that we would walk out of here different. And may you get all the credit and all the glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So kind of as just a a reminder um, for us, we're talking about 
you know, our, our lives reflecting, our lives promoting what we love and everything. And as last week I told you, um, I really believe love kind of equals obedience. That, that what we do and how we act reflects what's really in our hearts and what's really important to us. In fact, our lives will promote what we love most. So whatever's the most important thing to you, whatever's the key thing, whether it's, it's your job or your family or, or your status or whatever that is, that is what you're going to promote. That's what I'm going to promote, whatever we love the most. And so Jesus very, very simply says in, in, in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you actually love me, you'll do what I say to do. You, you'll act the way I've told you to act. You'll live in the boundaries I said that I've set for you and, and everything. And so it's interesting to me that so many people on our planet claim that, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. And yet they look nothing like him, not in the way their business dealings or their family dealings or anything. And, and so, again, whatever I love the most, and that is what my life is going to promote. But there's a huge, huge difference between knowing this and, and, and doing it. And this was the biggest problem of the age when Jesus was talking to all the Pharisees and religious leaders and all the people. They all knew this stuff, but there's a big difference between knowing it and doing it. So have your Bibles turn over to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to be sitting here pretty much all morning in a, in a, telling a story that you probably have all heard. But beginning in verse 25, Luke kind of tells the story from a different perspective maybe even a different time where it's come up before. And in verse 25, Luke writes, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What's the thing that I need to do so that my life is lives wherever it's perfect and nothing's wrong with it? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? I love that Jesus, talking to this lawyer, and, and, and in, in biblical times, in New Testament times, when you read in the Bible, a lawyer is someone that has studied the first five books of the law of the bible like they know the law in and out they know all the Le levitical law they know all the law that came through moses and all this stuff and so they have mastered it and i love that jesus says okay you're a lawyer how do you read it how do you wh what do you think it is and i love the a lawyer says he answered you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. See, because there's a huge, huge difference between knowing it and, and doing it. And so many of us, and so often, we think we, we, we know these things. We know that Jesus has said to love God with all your heart and love people. But do our lives reflect that? Do we actually live that out? And what actually does that look like? C.S. Lewis said this. He said, do not waste... Whoops, he said, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. And, and so the, the first step last week was that we're going to love God with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our strength, all our mind, with everything that we have. We're going to place God. He's going to fill our thoughts. He's going to fill our hearts. He's going to do all that stuff. But now we need to love our neighbors. But it's one thing to say, yes, I love my neighbors. But it's one, another thing to act like you actually do. And everywhere in Scripture, it's not about lip service. So often we show up to church and we sing the songs, and yet our life doesn't reflect what we're singing. It's, it's, we're lying. 
And, and so this morning, this, this is what I want to talk about the second part, that if we truly are going to promote and reflect God and, and make God incredible and majesty and for the world to see, then, then we're going to love people. And we're going to love our neighbors. And so go on into Luke chapter 10 in a parable and in a story that you have probably heard all, all, a whole, whole bunch. Let, let me back up a little bit. Verse 29. So the lawyer answers correctly and he says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? You know, I, I know the law. I, I know all this stuff. I know what's going on with this, but okay, let me just make sure, well, who's my neighbor? See, in the Jewish mind, it's that person that, like, okay, it's just the Israelites, right? The fellow Jews, those are my neighbors, that's who I need to be nice to. And isn't that how we get sometimes, we sit there and we pick and choose who we're going to love? <laughs> Don't we get there and say, well, I'm going to love this person because they're my family and I have to, <laughs> even when it's hard. Or I'm going to love this person because we all go to church together. But what about the people that we look at that are a little hard to love? that are a little bit unlovable. What does that look like if we're truly to love people? And so Jesus tells this story that we have all heard probably millions of times, starting in verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set, on him, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, we, we all know this story. You know, uh, of, of all the parables, there's, there's a couple of stories that, that um, probably stand out. You know? you know, we have the prodigal son, but then we also have the good Samaritan. Even people that don't go to church know about this story. You hear that phrase all the time, be a good Samaritan. You, know, you help somebody inside the road, oh, you're a good Samaritan. We hear all that. And there, there's no context, but there's so much more to this story than I think we realize. And the problem is, is that familiarity often breeds um, complacency. We, we hear the story, we've heard it in Sunday school, we've heard it in BBS, we've heard it over and over again. And sometimes we, we lose all that's happening actually in this story. And how amazing it is. And so I, I want to sit here and, and, and I want us just to um, kind of dive into it. Because there's a few things that we need to know. First of all, it says in verse 30, he was, um, Jesus, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. I want you to understand that everybody listening to the story at this time understood exactly what Jesus was saying. This trip, it was 17 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem. And it was down kind of this windy path and everything. You actually went from 3,000 feet down. You, you traveled 3,000 feet in elevation. And, and so it was kind of a dangerous place. It was known to have robbers. It was known to do it. And so Jesus is saying there was a man that was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he got mugged. Everyone's like, oh, I know somebody like that. 
I, I know exactly who that is. And so, yeah, I, I've seen that happen before. I've heard about that all the time. And so it was a common occurrence that this was a dangerous place. We really don't know why the man was going back home, maybe, or, or whatever. <coughs> a story, we just know that he fell among robbers. And I love that Jesus didn't actually say what was stolen from him. It says he was stripped and beat him and departed, leading, leaving him half dead on the side of the road. And so we get this picture of this poor fellow that he's just trying to do good. He's trying to do what he's supposed to do. He's coming down this road. He gets mugged. He gets left on the side of the road. And so, of course, when you start thinking about this, like, it's Jerusalem. There's got to be a lot of people that's going by. Somebody's going to stop and help and everything. Who else but the religious leaders? And, and so the first ones that come down, it says, in verse 31, now by chance a priest was going down that road when he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I've read this story as a kid and, and I've heard this story, you know, I just think, like, what a punk. What a jerk. This guy sees him and everything. And I think we give the priest um, a really hard time. But there's a couple of things you need to understand. One, the priest was probably in the act of his duties, always, um, beseeching God for the people. And everything. And one of the laws in the Levitical law was that you don't touch a dead thing. If you touch anything that's dead, you're you're unclean and you're of no service anymore. You can't. You're impure. And so this priest comes up and he sees a guy laying. It probably looks dead, and he has to make a decision. Well, I can help him, or I can become unclean, and then I can't perform the duties that I have, that I'm supposed to serve the people and serve God and everything. And so it's actually this idea of this um, ceremonial purity. And unfortunately, the man looks at him, the priest looks at him and says, I'm not going to take the risk so much that he goes all the way to the other side of the road so as he's not even to graze him because anything, anything that touches him is now unclean. And so he's, kinda, he's doing his job, and so he has to choose between do I help this guy or do I blow what I think I'm supposed to be doing and what I'm called to do and what I'm paid to do my job and all this stuff and so he chooses purity over getting dirty same thing for the levite it says later that uh, you know so likewise a levite in verse 32 came to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side again it was the same thing the levites they helped the priest if they touched anything dead they were unclean and they couldn't serve their purpose anymore you know the good of the many outweigh the good of the, the needs of the one, you know, Star Trek fans. But, but again, it's like I, I choose, I choose the ceremony of purity. And also, you know, the robbers could still be here. What good is it going to do if I help them and then they see me helping? Maybe it's a setup they, and that they would do that. They would injure somebody, put them on the road and wait for somebody else to stop so they could do it again. And so there's so much risk, so much, and we weigh. And don't we do that when we're looking at people and serving and loving people? Don't we weigh, you know, the pros and cons? Have you ever made those lists when you're making a decision? Well, if, if I do this, then, you know, this could cost my family. This could cost me. This could cost us. If I don't do this, it could cost them. Um, and more times than not, we choose what benefits us and benefits our position. And that, that's really what's happened. And so when we give the priest and the Levite a hard time, don't, don't forget how often maybe we've done that. Now, in this story, Jesus is talking, and they're religious leaders, and they're listening to him. And so all the people love when Jesus is talking to religious leaders because they're like, oh, he, they're going to get it now. He, they're going to get religious leaders because I know what's coming next. 
some pauper, like really poor, destitute Jew is going to come up, and he doesn't have any money, and he's going to go and save this guy and everything and make the religious leaders look, they look horrible then. Like, this is awesome. Wait, wait, wait for it. Here comes the punchline, and everybody's waiting. But Jesus goes a totally different way. In verse 32, it says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, if you don't know a lot about the history and everything, the Samaritans were literally um, the northern tribes, the original northern tribes, when the Israel split and stuff, and they intermarried, and they did all kinds of stuff, and, and they were hated by the Jews. They were considered traitors by the Jews, and, and we don't do anything with those people. In fact, if you were a Jew and you were traveling, you would literally go 100 miles out of your way just so you wouldn't have to walk through Samaria. That's how bad it was. And the Samaritans didn't like the Jews either. And so if you can imagine for a moment, Jesus is telling the story. And they're all sitting there waiting for this like good Jewish boy that probably is poor and, and destitute, but he's going to stop and save the day. Jesus says, no, a Samaritan stopped. And the entire crowd was just like, oh, what? Samaritan would never stop. There's no way a Samaritan stopped. We hate them. They hate us. But that's the point. The Samaritan had the exact same thing that he could do. He had to weigh the consequences, the pros and cons. Here's a Jew that hates me, that I hate, that won't even, like, they won't save my kids. They would never, if this was me, they would never have stopped. They wouldn't even acknowledge me. And not only that, like, I'm not going to get anything out of this, but also if my friends and my family finds out that I helped the Jews, then they're going to consider me a traitor. I'm going to lose I'm going to lose all this stuff. And yet the Samaritan stopped and he had compassion on him. See, the Samaritan had a lot more to lose than the, the, than the Jewish boy or the priest or Levi. He had a lot more to lose. And yet he didn't look at that. He saw compassion. It, it says in verse 34, he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. By the way, those aren't cheap things. He wasn't drinking them up. Oil was an antiseptic. He would pour it on, or the wine was an antiseptic, and the oil would kind of cool and ease the pain. Each of those are expensive. And in many cases, that was money. If you had oil or you had wine, you could use that to buy goods and stuff. So he took his own stuff and he poured it on him. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an and in and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. What more, whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. There, there's a whole bunch more that the Samaritan did. He's hated by the Jews. He hates Jews. He's considered a traitor. He's a traitor if he helps them, and yet he stops. He has compassion. And then not only that, does he just sit there and like bandage up his wounds? He had a donkey. He was riding on this hill. Again, 3,000 feet. It went down. That's a pretty steep hill. I don't know about if you've ever been hiking and stuff like that or, or gone, down, uh, gone down a hill, but it, it's, it's harder to actually go down than it is to go up. Use more muscles. And so it would be nice to be on a donkey where I'm not doing all the work, but instead, because he's so weak, he takes him, and he chooses to walk while he puts this guy that hates him on his donkey so he could ride. And then not only that, he goes and puts him in an inn. And when you think, like, well, he gave two, two denarii, you need to understand that that was two months' worth of lodging at that time. That was a lot of money. And in fact, generally, it would cost about one and thirty-two one thirty-second of a denarii for one day. 
And so he literally gave two months' worth of lodging for this guy and then said, listen, and if anything happens or if there's anything more, I'll take care of it. So, so who lost more and who gave more? And, and unfortunately for us, we weigh our pros and cons and, and, and we look at it and we say, well, I'm going to, well, someone else will help. Someone else will love. Someone else will do. It's too high a cost. And yet when answering the question, who is our neighbor? Who is the neighbor? Even the lawyer said the one who showed mercy. I think it's interesting that he couldn't say it was the Samaritan. It kind of tells me that he still didn't get the point. See, if we're going to reflect God, if we're going to promote God, and say this is who we love and this is what we think, then it is lived out by the way we love other people. It is lived out and shown out by the way we love people and not being choosy about who we love, about like anybody walking in. And I know for me, there are prejudices. And I like it's Veterans Day, and I'm reminded of my time that I spent my daughter's very first Christmas, her first steps and her first words in a, in a desert because some morons wanted to invade and do stuff. And so for years, I was like, I don't like anybody from the Middle East. I don't trust any of them. I don't do any of that stuff. I don't want to. That's a, that's a prejudice. I, you set up and say, well, this is what that cost to me. And yet in the church, of all places, and the only place, that should be a place that anybody should be able to walk through the door. That we should be able to walk through the street and we look at everybody the way God looks at them. That they're worthy of sacrifice, they're worthy of saving, they're worthy of anything that costs me to see that that happens. Because that's what someone did for me. That's loving people. See, we, we've got to get to the point where we've got to say, what's the cost to me or the cost for them? And can I tell you something this morning? If we don't love people with the love of God, the cost for them is so much greater than the cost will ever be for us that know Him. You're talking about an entire groups of people that are dying and will be eternally separated from God. That is a greater cost than it could ever cost us of some impurity, some uncomfortableness, some giving up of tradition, some giving up of prejudice some giving up of anything that we have just saying i'm this is going to make me uncomfortable if i do this or if i love this person they're hard to love and we know there are those people that are really hard to love man we want to love them and a lot of times they're in our family aren't they <laughs> man we want to love them but man we want to lay hands on them too <laughs> there's that person that's squawking on, on on television that's saying a view that you don't agree with and just like oh god fire you know just step on him you know i mean you we, we get all that built up in us but if we're going to obey christ if we're actually going to love people and through that reflect god then we have to get rid of all that stuff this is why this is why I, I don't believe we have a racial problem. I think we have a sin problem because in my Bible it says there's only one race. There's the human race and we all are in need of a Savior. And if we can start looking like that, if we can start looking at people and loving people in a real way, not just say I love them, but actually doing it, 
That's what the Samaritan did. He actually did it. He took the risk. He did everything. He paid sacrificially. We don't know if he was poor. We don't know anything. We just know that he spent all that he had. He was willing to go the extra mile. He wasn't willing just to banish them. He put them on his donkey. He put them in an inn for two months. He settled up after that. He, he gave everything. So that person could live, so that person can save. If that's what it costs to be a neighbor, then what are we doing for our neighbors? You know, the problem in the church today is we've made evangelism, hey, go to church with me. And that, that's, that's, that's a small piece of it, but that's not evangelism. Evangelism is me sharing my life. That's what Paul says. Paul says we loved you so much that we shared not only the gospel, but our very lives. That we share and we give and we sacrifice and we do that and we show people that we love them. And can I tell you something? A church of 20 people can do that just as well as a church of 20,000 people, if not better. I am the pastor of a small church and I'm excited because God gets the credit all the time. You know, if you haven't noticed around this church, everybody gets an opportunity to do anything. Because <laughs> we need everybody to do everything. There's not a full staff. There's not, there's not a bunch of money in the bank and stuff where we can pay people. There's not great facilities. We put kids in a tent, and I will bet that kids' ministry against any other kids' ministry in the state of Florida right now. Because they're doing it because they love those kids. On Wednesday nights, we have youth leaders that show up, and they don't know if there's going to be one here or there's going to be like ten here. They have no idea, and yet they show up week after week because they love those kids. And they get to do that because we're in a church where, man, I can't hire anybody. I can't even hire myself. We just need everybody. What a blessing it is to be a part of a small church. Because what better place does God get the credit? And we get to live that out. We can love people with the love of God. And it will change this culture and this community like nothing else ever has. But we have to do it. And not just know it. We, we have to set ourselves above. Or set others above us. In fact, look, look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is probably one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. If you want to know about Christ and, and how he came and all this stuff, it's called the great emptying, where Jesus himself emptied himself of all his power. And he said, listen, I'm going to become fully human and fully God, and I'm going to sacrifice myself. And in that example, Paul writes this, in, starting in verse 3. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Isn't that what Christ did for us? How easy would it have been for Jesus just to sit up in heaven saying, Nah, <laughs> that ain't worth it. And yet he emptied himself, he humbled himself even to death on the cross and came for us. So how dare us not look at everybody around us and love them the way God loves them? Because when Jesus died, he died for them. Jesus died for the Islamic extremist terrorists. Jesus died for Adolf Hitler. And Jesus died for you and me and that person across the street that plays their music too loud and annoys the snot out of you. And the only way they see that is when we love them. And we see them the way God loves them. And we can do that. 
It doesn't take any special programs or budgets for that. We can do that. In fact, one of the things I love about this church is it's one of the most loving churches I've ever been involved in in 30 years. I've never seen anybody not walk through this door that hadn't been greeted and welcomed and, and felt like, hey, welcome to our family. This, this is, this is, we are a family. I, I love that about our church. I love that you're not a number, you're a relationship. I love that about us. But it makes absolutely no sense if all that love stays in these walls. It's got to go out there. Because that's what this community is waiting for. They're waiting to see if someone's actually going to really love them. They've heard all the promises. Church after church has gone up down here and closed in six months. People have come like, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do that and stuff. And if the honest truth is when people walk through the door, they're like, hey, can you help us? I'm like, we have no resources, but we can pray and, and we can do this and we can call maybe these people and help you with that. We'll give you everything that we have and this is all that we have. But we can do that, but we have to take it outside these walls. We, we have to love people. We have to love our coworkers. We have to love our neighbors our family, our friends, all of them. It's not an option. It's a command. I, I love this. Augustine says this. He says, what does love look like? It has the hands to help others. It has the feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has the eyes to see misery and want. It has the ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men. That is what love looks like. You and I are called to love people. To love God with all that we have. And because of that love and the love, and, and by the way, you know, we love God not because we chose to love Him. We love Him because He first loved us. And when that love enters and we, we fully get engaged in the love for God and the love from God, how can we not love others? How can we not fall in love with the things that God falls in, is in love with? You know what God's in love with? His people. His creation. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your bank account is. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what your ideology is. God loves everyone. And that's what we're called to do. We're never called to pick and choose. We're never called to just count the cost and think that, man, this is, it's going to cost too much. Because, by the way, it costs Jesus everything. We, we are called to love God and love people. That, that's the command. We, if we want to reflect God, if that's what we want to promote in our lives, then that's what we have to do. Matthew 22, verse 37, once again, let me read this to you. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything that the scriptures have said and has written, everything that's been done in all of creation throughout all time is based on loving God and loving our neighbors. Which means we love God with our whole heart, not divided, but with everything that we have. We fill it with our whole soul, with our being and everything, with our whole mind and intellect. And then we love everyone everyone 
How can that not change a community? You know, it's, it's the old song, all the world needs now is love, sweet love. You know, we've all heard that song. It's kind of cheesy. We like it. All the world needs now is Jesus, sweet Jesus, because that is love. And the only way they see it is when we love God with everything we have, and then we love everyone. We, we invite them to church. We go and see what they need. We share with them. We, we, we pass on. We have a bunch of those Jesus DVDs that we would love just hand out as gifts this Christmas. I mean, we're going into the holiday season. Thanksgiving's almost here, all this stuff. And, and some of you may have the practice of, of making cookies and handing them to your neighbors. And maybe you don't. Maybe you should try that this year. Just make a batch of cookies, put a Jesus DVD in there, and just say, you know, Merry Christmas. Why are you doing this? Because I love Jesus, he loves me, and I love you. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. Who cares? Go out of your way. You see someone in need, stop. You know, I've been watching a bunch of old Hallmark shows and stuff because it's Christmas and my wife's been sick and that makes her happy and they're the cheesiest Hallmark Christmas movies ever. <coughs> but everyone, the common theme is like, hey, I'm going to stop and help this person. Then we know like, oh, those two are going to fall in love. They'll get married someday. That's every Hallmark Christmas movie, by the way. <laughs> I don't mean to ruin it for you, but that is. Someone breaks down, someone has this issue, someone comes in, helps them. And then they fall in love. It would be awesome if life was just that simple. But how many ways do we miss when we are so worried about weighing their values, weighing the pros and cons? How many opportunities do we miss to reveal love? Because when we miss it, we're not promoting God, we're promoting ourselves. That's, that's what this has all been about. And church, I'm, I'm telling you, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you actually claim to love Jesus, then you will love God with everything you have, and you will love all those unlovable, hard, crazy, Gator fan people <laughs> that are annoying and bug you. But you will love them because you love Jesus. That's the motivation for it all. And a church of 20 can change the world doing that. I know it. L this morning, <coughs> I, I just want to ask you again, what, what does your life promote? Does it promote God? Does it promote a, a faith and a love and, and, and all that? Does it promote a love for other people, no matter what they look like or what they've done or who they are? You know, do, do you spend time praying for those? I love that Jesus always took these a step further. He's like, it's easy to love those who love you. I command you to love your enemies. If you're a Republican, are you, voting, are you praying for Democrats? <laughs> if you're a Democrat, are you praying for Republicans? If you're from the South, are you praying for Yankees? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Are we loving everybody because that's what Jesus did and that's what we're commanded to do and that's the only way you promote a life that reflects God and that's a life that will change other lives what a better way to live than love so this morning I just want to give you a chance to kind of respond to this
to ask yourself those hard questions. God, what does my life promote? Am I promoting you? Am, am I showing you? Am I loving other people? And if I'm not, God, give me opportunity this week. God, give me opportunity to just share and, and to love on somebody and to actually have some action behind that. So interesting to me, love always in the Bible is a verb. It's an action word. It's never an adjective. It's never a noun. It's always action. May that be us at Grace Baptist. May we be a loving church to each other and to everyone else that's out there.